Well, good morning to you. It's uh, very enjoyable for me to have a chance to be with you live and uh, to uh, be able to greet you for, uh, uh, I think it's been several times that I've been here, so it's always a privilege to come. Uh, Sam uh, will be missed. Uh, I want you to know that uh, I mentioned Sam by name in a sermon a few weeks ago, and now he is getting invi- you know, invitations from churches all over the country. So... Um, I've, I, I've got a finder's fee coming in the mail from real life, so no, that's not true. Um, I, I have to say that um, I love Sam very much and will, will uh, miss him very much as well. He's been a uh, marvelous colleague and, and a constant encouragement to me and the people with whom he works, and I'm sure that uh, you as well. So, And we look forward to, though, what God has in store for this uh, campus, this this uh, church uh, in the years ahead, and, and looking forward to Gary coming and ministering to you. It's Christmas, as we've already been reminded of. You can you can see symbols of it up here, uh, and, and Christmas is a season of reminders. Um, I look back on all the Christmases that that uh, I've, I've lived through and, and and have experienced as a reminder of many things. My childhood memories come come flooding back this time of year. Uh, family visits. Uh, important events, special trips we've taken on some Christmases. Uh, I think about gains that uh, we've had in our lives, the losses, the loved ones that that are no longer with us. All those memories come flooding back. I did one of my Christmas traditions last night. I do it alone. I I, uh, record It's a Wonderful Life. Uh, I uh, get various treats out, and I sit alone and cry my way through It's a Wonderful Life every year. I know every line of that movie, and I just weep my way through it. Uh, it's, it's sort of my own personal tradition. We all, we all have them, don't we? Uh, one thing, though, that uh, Christmas is a reminder of that I don't think we should ever forget. Christmas is a reminder of eternity. Christmas is a reminder that this isn't just all that there is. Solomon, in his great work in the Old Testament, the book of Ecclesiastes, as he talks through how, how we view life and the struggles that, that, that many of us go through in terms of trying to find meaning in our lives, he, he penned these beautiful words through the leading of the Holy Spirit. For God made everything beautiful in its time. And he has also said eternity in the human heart, yet no one can fathom what God has done from beginning to end. And I know that everything that God does will endure. Christmas is a reminder not just of this holiday or the holiday's past, but it's a reminder that we have a future, that we have eternal life. Enjoy being here. I, I was, uh, noticed the, the, the beautiful aromas I came in, in, in this room with the Christmas trees uh, we don't have a live one this year, so I miss that smell. So thank you very much. It's, it's delightful to be around Christmas trees. Uh, one of the most vivid memories of my childhood is our, my parents and my brothers and my parents going out and getting the, the, the Christmas tree. And I uh, remember my dad and mom going out, bringing it back. My dad would put it up. My dad, I don't ever remember my dad ever struggling to put up the Christmas tree. It just seemed to always go up perfectly. I did not inherit those genes in my adult life. I always struggled putting up the Christmas tree with it tipping over and leaning and certain things. My dad could just do everything that way. And once the tree was up, and it always, of course, you're a kid, but it always looked huge to me. It always stretched up to the ceiling of the room that we had it in. 
And my dad's next job was to, was to uh, put the lights around the tree. And this is back, I'm dating myself when I tell you what the lights were. They, they weren't even plastic in terms of the wiring. They were cloth wiring. The, the, the bulbs were huge and they were hot. Uh, there were these huge bulbs, and, and that tree just, just lit up as, as he would circle that, that, that tree with those lights. There were all sorts of shapes. There were there lights that shaped like birds. There, was, there, was one, there were a couple lights where there was a, there was a base to it that was, that was uh, glowing yellow, and then there was a red tube with red liquid in it, and that bulb would heat up, and the, and the, t and the, and the liquid would boil. That's how hot that is. I wonder we didn't burn our, our house down every year, but <laughs> I love that. And then we put ornaments on. Uh, the ornaments from the past, and there'd be memories. I remember in grade school, I made a Santa Claus with a curly beard, little strips of paper for his curly beard. That would go on every year. My dad, every year, the last thing he would do was put the angel on top. I remember we'd all stand around and say, that angel, that angel was beautiful. And uh, that was a reminder of my Christmas. And it was a reminder of my, my father. My father was a child of German immigrants, and, and they, they spoke German in his home. He didn't retain much of the German language in his adult years, but he, he had to speak German to his parents. They never uh, learned the English language. And my dad, on occasion, would burst into song uh, uh, with, a, with the German Christmas carol, O Tannenbaum. Ever heard O Tannenbaum? And he would sing it in German. And I remember the words, O Tannenbaum, O Tannenbaum, wie treu sind deine Blätter. We did look at him, I go, what is he saying? O Tannenbaum, O Tannenbaum, wie treu sind deine Blätter. Du grünst nicht nur zur Sommerzeit, nein, auch im Winter, wenn es schneit. O Tannenbaum, O Tannenbaum, wie treu sind deine Blätter. There you go. Merry Christmas. <laughs> Memory of my past. Christmas trees. Actually, Christmas trees come from uh, a co-opted pagan practice, if you know your history. Uh, you know that uh, the German tribes, before the gospel reached them, were uh, worshipers of the gods. And uh, they would, in, in part of their pagan practices, in the dead of winter, they would cut down evergreen boughs. They would, they would put them on their doorposts as a reminder to the gods that, that, that they needed to not forget that spring should be on its way, Right. And uh, that, that was, that was the, the pagan practice. Uh, and when Christian missionaries to the Germanic tribes came, they used this practice, and they, and they converted that over to a symbol for the life that comes with the first advent. It was a symbol of eternity. It was the Word made flesh. And Christian tradition has it that Boniface, in the 700s A.D., uh, he was a young man who, who was born in what's now Great Britain. He became a believer in Jesus and became a, a missionary to the Germanic tribes. He was a monk, and he led several of his, his, his um, uh, priest friends into that pagan land. And uh, tradition has it that he came to the town of Geismar in, in modern-day Germany, and uh, that was a, a, a town that practiced pagan worship around a huge oak tree outside the, the, their town, and they, they had a human sacrifice that they would do every year uh, as an offering to the gods so spring would come. And Boniface stumbled on this practice, and in his horror and his anger, he grabbed an axe and in front of the, the shocked townspeople cut down that oak tree in front of them. And uh, as the oak tree fell, tradition says, uh, it revealed a small fir tree and Boniface then pointed at that small fir tree and said, 
That oak is no longer your symbol. This is the symbol. This is a symbol of eternity. Its leaves are always green. And so we have the Christmas tree as a symbol of our faith, especially this time of the year. We are in a Advent series concentrating on a passage in Isaiah, and it was read beautifully by the Bollinger family. Joe read it for us. Uh, Isaiah 9, uh, beginning with verse 6. I want to read it again for you. Uh, Isaiah the prophet says, for, To us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called, and then he gives these beautiful descriptors, and we've talked about them in the last three weeks. This is the fourth one we'll be discussing. Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. And Isaiah, in his descriptions of the coming Messiah, he, he, he initially calls him uh, the, the son, the son that is given, but then one of the most interesting of his descriptions is everlasting father, and that's what we're going to focus on this morning. So the idea of not just a wonderful counselor, a mighty God, or prince of peace, but he is an everlasting father. In Hebrew, when, when the word father is used, it's not just uh, used in the sense of 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 a, a, an earthly father and, and someone who is the father of children, but it is the symbol of the creator of life. When father was used in the Hebrew text, uh, the, the reader would, would think of the creator of life and, and the one who sustains life. So this is a, this is a description of Isaiah that goes from, from not just the, the Messiah being a, coming as a child, but he comes with, with the opportunity to communicate to us who the Father is. It's not just the, the first person of the Trinity. There is no Trinity discussion here, but it's a descriptor of the one who gave us life and continues to hold our lives together. So when Jesus came to this earth, as John explains so beautifully, no one has seen God at any time, he says in John 1, but the only begotten Son of God, he has explained him. Jesus is the explanation of who the Father is. He's the Father's representative. And Isaiah says he's a reminder that we have an everlasting Father, an eternal Father. So I want you to, to look at this Mark passage. I just want to uh, spend just a, a few minutes in this to, to get just a, a quick glimpse I think this, this, uh, this chapter beautifully illustrates how Jesus, when he came, showed us what this whole idea of, of, of being uh, the Father means to us and to, and, and, and to our relationship with God. Three examples of how Jesus shows us paternal care. First one is this. He was a provider with compassion. He was a provider with compassion. The text was read, uh, Jesus uh, tried to scoot his disciples uh, away from the crowds in, in Mark chapter 6. Uh, they, they wanted some, Jesus wanted some time alone. He wanted them to, to have some time alone. They got in a boat to see if they could just sort of remove themselves for, for a bit of time from the crowd so they get to a more isolated place. But then when they, they finally landed the boat after they'd been, been in the Sea of Galilee for a while, they found that the, the crowds had followed them along the shoreline and the crowds were waiting for them when they arrived. 
And in verse 34, when Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So he began teaching them many things. The fathers provide, and they provide, first of all, with compassion. Now, every time fathers are mentioned in a message, uh, many of you in, uh, will automatically go to your own personal experience with your own earthly fathers. And many of you had fathers that were wonderful men and, and uh, good people. And, uh, but if this is a representative crowd, uh, many of us here had fathers who probably weren't as exemplary or maybe weren't there at all. So what Jesus came to do, what God communicates to us through him, is, is what the ideal that he has in mind for the care of his people. This is what fathers were meant to do. Fathers were meant to provide with compassion. And, and David in Psalm 68 tells us that, that, that God, our creator, is a father to the fatherless. He's a defender of widows, and he sets the lonely in families. So regardless of your family of origin experience, there is an ideal here that Jesus came to demonstrate and to explain to us. And the first one was that he is a provider with compassion. So he looks at these people, and, and uh, uh, the time's late, and uh, the disciples come to him and say, hey, it's, you know, it's, it's way late in the day. We've got to send these people away. They've got to take care of themselves. We obviously cannot care for them. But Jesus then... In this provision, wonderful provision, in verse 37, says, you give them something to eat. And they said, no, it's a half a year's salary to feed these people. We, we don't have that money. We can't do that. Of course, the, Jesus has them look into the crowd. Is there any food that they can use? There's five loaves, two fish. That's it out of, out of 5,000 plus people. And then Jesus, in this beautiful miracle breaks the bread and, and breaks the fish, and, and this food is distributed to the people. And they all were, I ate, and they all were satisfied. Good fathers are providers, and they provide with compassion. My dad, I've, I've spoken a lot about my dad uh, during my messages over the years. My dad was a blue-collar worker. We I was born and raised in Toledo, Ohio. It's in, in the industrial area of, of the Midwest. And my dad worked in factories all throughout Northwest Ohio, Southern Michigan. My dad was a very hard worker. My dad's philosophy is there's work to be done, you need to do the work. And he would contract out of the union. He was very skilled in what he did, installed very complicated machineries and factories all over the Northwest Ohio. Uh, and, uh, he, and he never, ever, ever complained about his work. He always appreciated the fact that he had a job to go to. And his work was hard. I remember one time I was uh, in college uh, around that age, and I was home uh, one weekend, and my father uh, had a job that required him to work all through the weekend. In fact, he didn't come home for two days. Uh, they had a rush job in one of the factories. They had a very important project and, and some manufacturing they needed to do, and so he had to work around the clock to get it up and running by Monday morning. I remember my dad coming home uh, midday on Monday, and uh, it was actually, it, was, it wasn't midday, it was in the morning. He'd worked all, the, all through two nights. He was just completely exhausted. And then my dad went straight, straight to bed to get some sleep. And my dad was so tired, I don't forget this, my dad was so tired he couldn't get to sleep. Have you ever been that tired? He was so tired he couldn't, even, he couldn't even sleep. My dad was a provider. 
It just didn't last when I was uh, in, in the home when I was an adult. Uh, my wife and I lived in, in Massachusetts for several years. We wanted to buy a house, our first house. We found one. It cost $30,000. I'll never forget this house. I love this house. Back when a dollar was a dollar, it was really such a nice house. <laughs> and we didn't have any money for down payment. Uh, but we had some people that were willing to sell it to us, and, and uh, finally a bank that was willing to loan us the money if we came up with 10% down. And I remember going to my parents and saying, can you loan us the money? And they didn't even hesitate. They said, sure, we'll do that. And I remember getting that check in the mail. I'd never seen so much money contained on a check in my life. I trembled when I looked at it. And uh, uh, we were able to purchase that house. And, and the, the payment plan was every year at income tax time, I promised my dad that I would send our return, whatever it was, to my mom and dad until we made up for that $3,000, which was going to be several years of payment. But uh, we, we decided to do it that way. And the first tax return, year the tax return came, I knew it wasn't ours. It was sad. It wasn't ours. It was uh, my parents. And I deposited, wrote the check, sent it on to my, my mom and dad. My dad called me and said, hey, we got your check. I said, yep, first of many. He said, well, so your mom and I have been talking, and uh, we didn't cash the check, and uh, we're doing okay and uh, we're going to forgive the whole loan. My dad was a provider, and he enjoyed doing it. Good fathers, Jesus teaches us. Provide with compassion. Another thing fathers do is they plan. They plan with a purpose. Now, I know husbands and fathers, that's not the sole job of the father to do that or the husband to do that. My wife, by the way, is a much better planner than I am. But Good fathers have an overall sense of where a family is going. And Jesus demonstrates in this passage his ability to, to make a plan and, and to, to get things done. He, he, he's a planner with a purpose. Notice that in this passage, Jesus divides up the crowd. He says, divide the crowd up in 50s and 100s. We've got to get this organized. There's a plan here. We've got to distribute this food. And, and that's the way they did it. There was no... There, there, there was no uh, mix up in terms of where people needed to be. There, there, there was provision made because there was a plan that was put into, into practice. And then verse 45 in this passage, at the end of, of this wonderful time, uh, immediately Mark says, Jesus made his disciples get into the boat again and go on ahead of him to Bethsaida while he dismissed the crowd. It was Jesus who came up with the plan uh, the disciples in Jesus didn't have a democracy. They didn't vote on things. Jesus told them what they were going to do. And, and the whole point of that being that the father responsibility is one that provides leadership. It's a plan with a purpose. So I told you I'm not a great planner. Years ago, a friend of mine uh, who was an excellent planner uh, was uh, working on some things, and, and he looked at me one day, and he, we were talking about the next year, and he said, well, have you planned the next year? I said, well, I've got an idea what I'm going to do. And he said, look, he says, i got a great template for a five, you need a five-year plan. I said, really? I, I need that far out, huh? He goes, yeah, you need a five-year plan. And I said, okay. I said, how do I do it? And he gave me this, this little formula to do it and, and steps to take, and so I took it, and I, I gave it some thought. It was actually uh, quite helpful to me. I I had my life divided up into areas, professional and spiritual and physical and emotional, relational, and, and I was, you know, really focused on that, and it was, it was quite helpful. I typed it up according to, to his little format, printed it out, and I knew my wife would, would really be impressed that I finally came up with a plan. I knew it. 
So one evening I took it home, I slid it across the table to her, and I said, look at that. And she looked at it and she was, whoa, a plan, you made a plan. She was, she was already impressed. And uh, she read it through, would make appropriate comments, and uh, very encouraging. Stacked it all back up, slid it across the table back to me when she was done. She said, that's a very good plan, Jim. I said, thank you. She said, I have one question. She said, where am I in this plan? And where are your children in this plan? And I remember wanting to hit my friend. I just wanted to hit him because <laughs> he didn't put that uh, in that little format. Uh, the message was not lost on me, though. It wasn't lost. She was saying to me, in a kind way, look, you, you have a responsibility to provide direction for this family. You have a responsibility. Good fathers plan, and they plan with a purpose. Another aspect of being a father here is found in this, this uh, chapter. It's just after the verses I read. The disciples are, are traveling by boat. Jesus is... is uh, Separate from them, he spent some time in prayer and reflection, as he often did uh, in his ministry. He needed that time alone. And then he, he went to, to meet with them and noticed, as, as uh, he, was, he was observing them, that they were struggling. They, the passage says they, they were rowing against the wind, and they weren't making any headway at all. And if you were here a few weeks ago, Zach talked about uh, the, the storm on the Sea of Galilee where Jesus calmed the waters and the disciples were afraid and talking about mighty God and God being in charge of all things. But here's another boat instance where the, the disciples, they were struggling. And Jesus then goes out to them. He walks on water. They, 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 they see uh, him walking on the lake and they thought it was a ghost. Verse, verse 50, they cried out because they all saw him and they were terrified. And immediately, Jesus spoke to them and said, Take courage, it is I, don't be afraid. And then he climbed into the boat with them, and the wind died down, and they were completely amazed. Good fathers are protectors. Good fathers are protectors, and they are protectors with power. And they use their power in an appropriate way. My dad was the protector of our family. I never... I never felt unsafe when I was with my father. My father wasn't an imposing man physically, but my, my dad, member of the greatest generation veteran of World War II, he, he just he had a sense about him where you just knew that it was going to be okay if my dad was there. 1968 was, if you're my age, you will remember that that was not a very pleasant year in the history of our country. Martin Luther King was assassinated in April that year, Robert Kennedy was assassinated in June of that year. There were riots and all sorts of, uh, of, of chaos that happened in our, in our cities all across the country. Uh, I was in Toledo, uh, Ohio at the time, and, and uh, our city wasn't spared from that. It was not a safe time. Remember, in the, in the height of, of, of this unrest, my dad having a conversation with me, I was probably around 18 at the time, and he, and he said, look, he said, this is, this is our plan. And he said, but we're going to be okay. And you know what? I never, I, to, to, as I think back on that, I didn't have one point in time where I had any kind of anxiety as long as my dad was there. He was a protector. Jesus came to help us understand what God the Father is like, his provision, 
the fact that he has an eternal plan for us and that he is our protector. Isaiah foretells of the one who will come as redeemer of all mankind. And these, these beautiful descriptions are indicators of the glory of God. John, in John 1, he says, The word, Jesus, became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory. Wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace. For my family, Christmas had a, an extra special meaning. Um, I was not present, uh, nor was I alive, at the time that, that this first Christmas came to our family. My mother and father met uh, by mail during World War II. My dad was a sailor in the South Pacific. Uh, my mother was a divorced mom of two children. Uh, 11-year-old daughter, 9-year-old son, and uh, without any contact with her biological father. And my mom had friends in her church who recommended that she write my dad and uh, introduced herself uh, by letter to my dad, and my dad wrote back. They wrote just extensive letters, 9, 10, 12-page letters to each other. Uh, and uh, my mother offered the opportunity for my dad to come home and join them for Christmas in 1944. My dad was on, on leave at that time and said he would make it back. And uh, my mother and her daughter and son, 11 and 9, uh, put the Christmas tree up that year in anticipation of the arrival of, of a sailor, uh, a young man that they'd never met before. Christmas came and went, no sailor. New Year's came and went, no sailor. Uh, he was delayed. He, he let them know that he, he still was coming, and so they kept the tree up. Uh, it was into the second week of January when he finally showed up, and they celebrated Christmas with this young man. And uh, my mom and dad met for the first time, and they were engaged after three days. Just my dad knew what he wanted, and he was a man of action. And they were married uh, in May of that year uh, when he was on leave again, and uh, their marriage lasted 49 years before my dad passed away. My mom when she took that tree down, just had a, a, just a brilliant idea. She took some scissors and cut off just the end of one of those, that, those blue spruce branches, and she kept it. She kept it as a reminder of that Christmas. And if you were to come into my home all through my young years and into my teen years, uh, behind a, a picture in our dining room, just sort of tucked Tucked in the, uh, in the, just behind in the upper corner was this, this evergreen branch, now brown, of course, but never lost a needle, interestingly enough. My mom said she never treated it with anything. It just, it just was there as a silent but poignant reminder that a father showed up. A father showed up to a young girl and young boy who didn't have a dad and a few months later did. Christmas is a reminder that a father showed up. The father showed up in the form of Jesus, his son, everlasting father. And he will eternally provide. He will eternally direct. And he will eternally protect those who put their faith in him. Let's pray. 
Heavenly Father, thank you for your son. Thank you for what he means to each of us. I pray that if there's anyone here who is on the doorstep of faith, who's considering what it means to become a believer, that today would be the day where they would understand more fully and, and uh, begin a relationship with you and understand it's through your son that they can have eternal life. And I pray, Lord, as we go into this season that, that we wouldn't just enjoy family, but we would enjoy it with the knowledge that it's you who's provided all these good gifts, all these loved ones, all these people that we have the privilege of loving and loving us and ministering to. Thank you, Lord, that we get to have a glimpse of who you are through your son Jesus, in whose name that we pray. Amen.